morning. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the power of the heavens will be shaken. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On the nights of November 13th and, I'm sorry, 12th and 13th, in 1883, the Leonid meteor shower burned across the state of Alabama. It was one of the most spectacular nighttime displays ever seen in North America. So so memorable. It's been memorialized in songs and poems and books. Some of you may know the song, Stars Fell on Alabama. Ella Fitzgerald sings it. One of my favorite depictions of this event is in the glass art created by Cappy Thompson. Um, This is it here. Angels hold these flaming bits of dust and rock that come to us as falling stars. There were many people that night who were surprised by both the beauty and terror of that event. I read one reminiscence from a man named John Tabor. I was almost stupefied with wonder and astonishment and hurriedly rose from my couch and looked out at the door and saw the whole heavens as far as I could observe, brilliantly illuminated with hundreds of thousands of shooting stars swiftly turning towards the earth. But John Tabor also knew his scriptures. I fully believe that we would have to give an account to our sin of our sins to God at once. And we would sit down, and I waited for that fearful moment to arrive. The suspense of waiting was dreadful. If I had been condemned to death, I would feel no worse than I did that night. We waited and went on waiting for coming of our doom. The grand display continued, and our terror did not grow less. That night seemed a month long, and the end of the world had not yet come. The next morning, the Montgomery papers said that drunkards and highwaymen had turned to their prayer books in the night. (laughs) And I have a soft spot in my heart for John Tabor because I suspect he felt a bit closer to the awe and wonder of today's scriptures that we're invited into. Awe and terror and fear all intertwined. We may think of Advent as the beginning of the story, of our story, but today we're set down right at the end. Destruction and dread, the tearing apart of the very fabric of creation. The Gospel of Mark offers this cacophony of images, stars dropping from the night, the moon inked out, this rumbling torrent of clouds, a flight of angels. And if I was hearing Jesus' words from him that night, I would be afraid. Jesus dashes between these images, overwhelming our senses, overcoming our rational mind. There is something bigger and more powerful than us. 
and we are meant to sense our fragility in these images. We are not in control of the world. We are vulnerable, vulnerable beyond our imagining. Somehow God is at work in this apocalypse, and we are afraid. If I might say, that fear is rightly placed. There is a lot to be afraid of. We live in an age of fear where our access to terrible events and images assaults us hour by hour. I recently learned the term political sports reporting. You heard this before? This is the shift that's happened over the past 10 years where cable news elevates each horrific house fire and kidnapping with a sort of minute-by-minute -minute coverage. On the ground reporting in Gaza is beamed to me directly, these images of death and destruction coming in in real time, minute by minute. There is so much to fear, and that fear is very, very real. And so it may feel counterintuitive to be asked to lean into fear this week of this Advent season to pay attention to it, to give it space. But in this ask, we're participating in an ancient tradition. For early Christians, fear was not the problem. Fearlessness was actually to be avoided. It was considered a vice, fearlessness. The reason? We are afraid because we love. Fear is a sign that love is at work deep within us. We are afraid for our warming planet. We are afraid for our loved one who is experiencing illness. We are afraid for the separation from the one we care for. We fear for ourselves as self-love. Our fear is often towards, in relation to, it, it is for another. That's one reason to attend to our fear. The other reason to attend to it is that fear in excess or misdirected can lead us away from love and towards disorder. Think about the country we live in that is saturated with guns because of our fear of the need for self-protection. We live in a culture of hoarding resources because we never know when the bottom will fall out and we'll need to take care of our family first. The United States sends trillions of dollars on militaries and nuclear bombs each year out of fear of other countries out-weaponizing us. Fear can lead us to terrible places, to do terrible, terrible things. And I suspect that that's the kind of fear that gets in, uh, gets in us and distorts our fear of God. Do you remember the first time people are afraid in the Bible? It's when they disobey God in the Garden of Eden. We learned that 
Adam and Eve were afraid. And this is the first time that people distort the image of God. As if God is a bully or a school teacher giving out bad grades. Adam and Eve forget who God is and they perceive God not in God's righteousness and awe and reverence, but as someone out to get them. And I suspect also that this is what the serpent intended all along. A fear of God that leads to alienation. But the fear that Mark speaks of today, of creation bearing witness to God's awful power, that is of a different sort. Mark's little apocalypse speaks to a power that holds creation together and can also pull it apart. And as we're confronted with these images, what we're invited to in Advent is a kind of spiritual stripping away. The identities we've made, writes Rowan Williams, that we have pulled around ourselves like comfortable dressing gowns or smart suits will dissolve. And with this deepest in us, what we want most, what we most care about, all of it is laid bare. And we are right to feel some apprehension about that. My teacher, Ellen Davis, talks about a rightly placed fear of God this way. The time comes in every life, and more than once, when we are personally confronted with a power that spreads out the heavens like a sequined veil, that formed us out of dust, that blew breath into our lungs, that led Israel through the Dread Sea on dry land, that left the whole of Pharaoh's army floating behind. And if we experience this power close up and are not gripped in our guts by the disparity between God and ourselves, then we are in a profound state of spiritual slumber. Fear of the Lord is a deeply sane recognition that we are not God. It was the year 1623 and John Donne was on his sickbed, isolated from others, believing he was dying of the bubonic plague. The plague had swept through London and had killed one third of its residents, but Dunn had refused to leave his parishioners behind. He stayed and ministered to the people in his church until one day he fell ill. Sick and alone, he wrestled through his fear. And then he prayed this beautiful prayer. Lord, give me a fear of which I won't be afraid. Give me a fear of which I won't be afraid. Dunn could see something from the center of that terrible illness. That fear of God, rightly placed, doesn't cause us to flee or cower, but paradoxically no longer allows us to fear. Whatever unsettledness Dunn felt about God, what overwhelm at the power and might of God's glory, he knew that God was for him. That God was for him. That God loved him and would love him to the end. Dunn could trust this God with his life and with his death. 
that fear of God dissolved all other fears and it made way for comfort and for peace. But in those days after the suffering, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven. The powers in the heaven will be shaken. I feel the power of those words. The holy otherness of a God who creates, who destroys. But I also know this. Today we have uh, set this scene for the space of the manger. Um, where God will be with us. Where God is one with us. God who comes in the body of Jesus Christ. And so this week we are invited to cultivate places of reverence and awe, which may be the way we talk about a fear of which we will not be afraid. The scripture today comes to us as a poem, these apocalypses. And there's another poem I want to end with today that I think also reminds me of the kind of fear of God that Advent invites us to. This is um, God's Grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest, freshest, deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. Amen. <laughs>